uh, along with a few other folks in our community, have uh, found myself on a kickball team in an adult kickball league. Our, our team goes by the name of the Toe Jammers. Um, if you venture out to see us, we're in these very bright yellow, green shirts. You can't miss us if you come out on the on the fields. But it's interesting, uh, and I mean, as I tell this story, I mean no disrespect to anybody who's running these these games. But it has been a very, very frustrating season for us so far. Uh, adult kickball is new uh, in Elizabeth City. Not new on the elementary school playgrounds, but new as far as being run uh, in town. And um, everyone is having a hard time figuring out how to play, what the rules are, what's legal, what's illegal, what's a strike, what's not a strike, what's an out, what's not an out. Uh, and uh, it gets really frustrating when uh, sometimes the calls aren't consistent, um, not just from one game to another or one ref to another, but sometimes from one pitch to another or uh, one out to another. And uh, it's, it's, gone, it's gotten so frustrating at times that usually when you come to play a game, you're, um, you're so... Uh, the competition, you, you kind of see yourself, there's the other team and you, and you don't really come together uh, united in the game because you're trying to beat the other team. I mean, I'm talking obviously your sportsmanship, but uh, the, strange, the strange effect is happening, though, that the teams seem to be united together. We're not playing each other anymore. It's us against the ref and the rules because nobody knows what's going on and everybody's getting frustrated. It got to the point a couple of weeks ago, sometimes we would only have one out an inning. One out, and it's the other team's turn to kick. We couldn't figure it out. Uh, it's and and I'm very competitive, and especially when there's unfairness and injustice, my competitiveness moves to to anger and frustration. And this game has ceased to be fun from week to week. And. In the, in the face of perceived injustice and unfairness, and they'll, we'll figure it all out, and they're figuring it out. The rules change from week to week. What's printed in the rule book isn't... The rules aren't followed sometimes, and sometimes rules are called that aren't in the rule book. Uh, all right. Uh, we'll, we'll get it all figured out. They're great people up there. We just need some some consistency or something. But this has been the, the, the response. In light of this perceived injustice and unfairness uh, um, of, of the way these rules are being carried out, this has been the response of the teams. You know what? It would be better if we were in charge. It would be better if we just completely got rid of the ref and we, we called our own game if we were the ones who were the evaluators of what was right and wrong, and if we were the ones who were saying uh, if it was a strike or an out, because apparently uh, 
the one who is in charge isn't doing it right and appropriately. And in fact, they're sucking all of the fun out of it. And life and this game would be so much better if we were the ones who were in control. Um, Now, and something as trivial as kickball, of course, I could make it the biggest issue that's facing Elizabeth City if I wanted to. Uh, There's some themes that we see happening there that may carry over into your approach and your understanding of God. Is he fair? Is he just? Is he consistent in the ways that he calls the game of life? How are you even supposed to know what the rules are? Is he clear on giving them to us? Um, Maybe you've heard various things from people of ways that you could get out How you could be sent to hell by this God. Dancing. Drinking. Playing cards. um, uh, Doing various sorts of things and different people tell you different things. And it's like, what are the rules? How am I supposed to know? Where am I getting this information? Different people are telling me different things. Maybe God doesn't really do this fairly. How can I know how to live life in his world? Is he just sitting up there just wanting to suck the fun and enjoyment out of this? Maybe it would be better if I was in charge. Um, Those are all very good and important questions, especially when we begin to consider the understanding that we've seen it a little bit already, but there's something that Scripture talks about, about God at some point is going to, to judge the world. He's going to punish us. Um, uh, as we look in the Bible, sometimes certain stories highlight this more than others. Some people may look at um, the... Uh, Israel and the in Canaan and taking over the the promised land and the battles and the the wars there of of looking and saying all right how could a how could a good and loving just and fair god act like that and bring about punishment and judgment in that way another one of those places and in fact is where we're going to begin to look this morning is the story of of two cities and of god's punishing and judging, carrying out his consequences for breaking the rules, you could say, of the of the game uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah, um, a place actually that scripture brings up time and time again as reflective of God's overall judgment of sinners. Uh, how can this God of grace and mercy and love that we talk about be consistent with sometimes maybe you, you hear it a God of wrath. Or maybe sometimes we, we've we've seen, oh well, in the Old Testament he was a God of wrath and vengeance and punishment. But the God in the New Testament with Jesus is a God of grace and mercy and love. Can these things come together? Is God fair? 
How do we live in his world? Would we just be better off if we were in charge and we were running the game? Well, that's what we want to look at this morning uh, from uh, Genesis chapter 18. If you want to follow along in one of the Bibles there in front of you, this morning it's on page 12 uh, in those black Bibles there under the, the chairs. And we will uh, we'll focus on uh, mainly on the, the last half of this, uh, this chapter this morning. But next week, as we look at chapter 19, we'll actually come back to, to compare the two. But let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 18. And Yahweh appeared to him, the him is Abram, Abraham, uh, by the oaks of Mamre. And he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may be you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly to the tent, uh, into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three says of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. Yahweh said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Yahweh said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for Yahweh? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Yahweh said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of Yahweh by doing righteousness and justice, so that Yahweh may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then Yahweh said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have... Uh, done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood, still stood before the Lord. Uh, then Abram drew near, Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the, rich, the righteous fare as the wicked. 
Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And Yahweh said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I, who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And he spoke again to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose, suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And Yahweh went his way, and when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word, but you know a lot of times we struggle to fully grasp the implications of what it is that you are teaching and showing us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide me and all of us this morning as we look into this passage of your word for us. Um, uh, Teach us uh, to look to you, to depend upon you. and to respond appropriately to your truth for the glory of Jesus. Uh, It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Is God just? Uh, Would a loving God, a good God, punish people? Uh, How does this whole idea of punishment fit into this mission we've been talking about, about of God's mission to rescue and restore. Um, these are important questions, especially here as we're getting ready to move into chapter 19, where God does in fact destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, before we get to that, if we're going to answer and look at the, this question of God's justice, of uh, the way that he he rules and, and is going about in the world is he truly good? It's gonna it's important for us to to look here as God presents um, his plan to do this to Abraham to look more into the way God came about this decision and in fact how he does rule in the world to find out is he really a good and just righteous God? Um, notice as he comes to Abraham. Um, first, they, uh, you, you may have some, some questions here. These three guys come up and meet with, with Abraham, and it talks about uh, the Lord is there meeting with Abraham. Is, uh, how, how is God present there? How is he not? It's, it's confusing. People have, have had a hard time uh, explaining this and coming to, to terms with it throughout the history of uh, Christianity. Uh, so I'm not going to give you a simple explanation that'll that'll answer it all. Just a few things to think about. Um, one possible thing that could be going on here. Remember, when you send uh, an angel or someone on your behalf, uh, they are representing the one that has sent them. 
And so uh, what could be going on here is there's three angels. They're there on behalf of of God and they're speaking on on his behalf as his representatives there. And so uh, when when they are speaking to Abraham, it's described as God speaking to Abraham. That's one possible way to to understand what's going on. Uh, Another is uh, elsewhere in Scripture, we're going to see God uh, manifest his presence with his people in a variety of different ways. Uh, Later on, Moses, the guy who's writing Genesis, God's going to appear to him in a burning bush and speak to speak to Moses through a burning bush. Um, uh, there's going to be times when he's leading Israel through, through out of Egypt and he demonstrates his presence through a cloud or uh, a pillar of fire to demonstrate that he's, that he's, he's with them. Um, so it also could be that here in order to, to demonstrate in a, in a, in a close way, God's manifesting his presence in some special way through these three visitors, um, how that's happening. I don't, Exactly no, but um, just think about the way that our personal God comes to meet with us. Uh, but anyway, God has has appeared. He's he's revealing his plan to Abraham about what's going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, it seems, has these these questions. Did you notice in verses twenty three to to twenty five? Uh, Abraham's wondering um, is. He, he wants to make sure, if this is what's going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah, that no one is punished unfairly. Notice how, how many times, I'm not going to read it all again, but in verses 22 and following, these terms come up. Righteous and wicked. Righteous and wicked, over and over again. And Abraham's concerned to know, surely you're not going to punish people wrongly. Are you going to be just? Are you going to be fair? Um, if that is your question about God and, and who he is, Abraham shares your questions. They're good questions. In fact, we see Abraham, Abraham entering into this, this conversation with God about this and um, uh, about how God is going to show mercy, or will he? Um, when, uh, when I was in high school, um, I, I didn't, play on the football team, didn't play on the soccer team, I didn't play on the basketball team, but for two games my freshman year, didn't play on the baseball team or anything else. What I did do to support our athletic teams was I worked the concession stand in all of those sports, me and two of my other buddies. Uh, And I don't know who worked the concession stand before us, but apparently it was a very, very stingy Concession, concession stand crew because this was always what we heard. People would come up, they would want to order nachos. They would order nachos and this would always be what they would say after they would order it. Don't be stingy on the cheese. Nachos, please. Don't be stingy on the cheese. Nachos, don't be stingy on the cheese. We're trying to figure out. We've never been stingy on the cheese. What is it that would make you think entering into this that your preconception of us is that we're stingy cheese givers? It's not our cheese. Look at all the cans of cheese here in the back. We're happy to give you cheese. But for some reason, they keep coming up assuming we are stingy cheese givers. Now, kids, if you look in your worship bag, you will 
there's not a bunch of nacho cheese in there. I could not do that. That would have been awesome. But I could not do that. You have a cheese stick in there. So the question we have is, some people may think that God isn't stingy with cheese, but he's stingy with mercy. What we want to see is, is that true? Is God stingy with his mercy like people assumed we were stingy with the cheese? Notice here, you could think and enter into this assuming God is a stingy mercy giver. This bargaining that Abraham goes back and forth with God. Is it indeed that? Some people think God, Abraham, is the one who is the most merciful in this situation. He's the one who's concerned that punishment doesn't happen unfairly. And therefore, he has to enter into this conversation somehow to convince God to not punish people wrongly. Some people think that what's happening is it's in this uh, marketplace and this transaction, like a used car lot back in used camel lot. I don't know what you would call it. There's just this bargaining thing going on. But I don't know that that's appropriate to... To, to think, because if that's the case, God is a very poor bargainer. You notice how awful God is at that? If he was, in fact, super stingy in mercy, every time Abraham asked him something, suppose there's only 50. Oh, all right. Well, if there's only 50, I'll spare it. Oh, well, what if we're lacking five? Oh, OK. If there's 45. Every time. Every time Abraham comes back and asks, God says yes. He doesn't counter offer. He doesn't try to highball Abraham to, to try to work it down to a place where he's comfortable. Usually in that situation, you're looking out for your best interest and trying to get what you can out of it. God is not stingy. God is not stingy in giving out mercy. Sometimes we may think that as you eat every single string of that cheese in your worship bag, may it remind you that when you come to God and ask him to forgive you of your sin, he says yes. Every single time he says yes. God's not stingy with cheese and he's not stingy with mercy. But sometimes we respond to him like that, don't we? We can think that in our sin, we have to somehow bargain with God and convince him why it may be in his interest to forgive us or to do good stuff in our life. And we bargain with him about things that we may do in the future, that if he'll do something now in our lives, then, then we'll change or we'll do something great for somebody else. Or if he'll only forgive us or, or, or listen to us this time, then, then I will do this. And, and our assumption is we are approaching God, whatever interaction we've had with other gods or our perception of this God, we approach him at and think, He's going to be stingy. And our response is, as we bring our prayers and our concerns to God, is don't be stingy on the mercy. Don't be stingy on the mercy. And what the scriptures are telling us is, you don't need to be worried about that. 
God has never been stingy with mercy. We see that over and over in this whole conversation with Abraham. So so maybe that perception that God is stingy with mercy or that he's just incredibly bent on doing as much punishment and carrying out as much wrath as he can, maybe we have a wrong perspective of God. Maybe that's not an appropriate way to look at it, this God of wrath and this God of mercy. How then should we see it? Uh, well, let's, let's look and see. Notice back up in verse 19. As God's deciding and talking about whether to reveal to Abraham what's getting ready to happen. It says in verse 19, For I have chosen him, Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of, the, of Yahweh by doing righteousness and justice, so that Yahweh may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Here, uh, God is saying the, the reason that he's chosen Abraham, the reason that he's called him, that he's placed his love on him, is that Abraham might command his children and his offspring after him to, to, do the, to follow the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord. To, to reflect and represent him. To do and live as God does and lives. To walk in the way and in a manner that's consistent with God's character and his actions. What is the way of the Lord? What does it tell us? The way of the Lord is doing righteousness and justice. That means that the way God lives and works and acts in the world is He always does righteousness and He always does justice. And what He's calling His people and the way that He wants us to live out to reflect His character in the world is that we also are to walk in His way, that we're to do righteousness and we're to do justice because that's how He does it. He is a righteous God. He is a just God. And He does those acts of righteousness and justice. Notice also the way Abraham refers to him. In verse 25, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? See, these these words come up again. Righteousness and doing justice. Abraham's, Abraham's concerned about the righteous suffering. And he says, will not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Abraham's assumption as he's entering into this conversation is that the one who's in charge, the one who has the authority to carry out this judgment, the, to make these decisions, is God. He is the judge of all of the earth. By being the one, and we see why, he's created all things. Everything is his. Remember what we saw in Genesis 1. When this God got done creating, there wasn't anything left for any other God to do. He has created all things. He even created us. He is the one who is in the, the only one in the proper place to judge all of the earth. No one will judge him because he's completely righteous and just. That means... There is a right and wrong if he's the judge of the earth. He's the one that has 
determined and, and established what it is. Remember, that's what we saw righteousness meant before. Living up to God's standard of what He has declared is right and what is wrong. So, if He is the God of righteousness and, and justice, and He is the, the, the judge of all of the earth, how will He carry out this justice? If he's not stingy in mercy, if we see that what is true of him is that he's righteous and that he's just and that he's the judge of all of the earth, how will he carry it out? How does he carry it out in this situation where he's talking about judging and punishing Sodom and Gomorrah? Let's look at it and see. Look in verses 20 and 21. Then Yahweh said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Uh, Here, uh, God is beginning to explain why this punishment of Sodom and Gomorrah is coming. It is because of their sin. Not just because of their sin. Notice, because the first thing that he mentions is because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And he's going to go down to see that, uh, uh, is it really true that the outcome, that this outcry is true and right? Now, um, did God really need to go and investigate? Was, was it unclear to him whether this was happening or not? I mean, remember what just happened back with Sarah. Lindsay and I were talking about this last night. Lindsay thinks this verse is one of the funniest verses in the Bible. In verse 15, God tells him that Isaac's going to be born and, and Sarah's back in the tent and she does just what Abraham did and she laughs and God says, hey, why not? Why, why did, you know, why is she laughing? And Sarah says in verse 15, she denied it. I didn't laugh because she was afraid. And the, the visitor goes, oh, no, you did laugh. He knows. He knew she laughed. He knew what was on her heart. So apparently God doesn't need to come down to find out if the outcry is there. What he's beginning to show us is the reason that he is actually coming down is he's wanting to communicate something to us specific and in a special way about his character, about the way he acts and he works in the world. He doesn't have to do this, but he is for our sake. Why is he coming down? What is this outcry? This terminology of of outcry comes up later on um, in the scriptures. And usually when it's used... It's talking about victims and those who have been oppressed and who are needing help of crying out for justice, for mercy, for salvation. God here has heard victims of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah pleading and calling out for someone to do something. To bring about justice. To deliver us. What do you notice here? God hears. He hears the cries of the victims. He hears the cries of those who have experienced injustice. 
And what is he doing? He's acting. He's coming down. He's entering into their suffering and their pain to find out. And and to see it from the other side. He's investigating to find out if he knows, to find out is it true or not. He listens and he hears the victims. He enters in. But he doesn't just say, all right, I'm just going to destroy everybody. He investigates. In fact, we'll see in the next chapter, he sends two guys to go check it out. He's looking to make sure. He's investigating. It's a fair trial. There are witnesses. God is fair. He hears the cries of the victims. He comes to investigate. And in fact, we'll find out next time uh, these cries were true. Great injustice was occurring. And God is acting on behalf of of the victims to bring about justice. I don't know if you remember. Um, uh, well, first, before we get to that, if you are in a place where you are are suffering and hurting, you have been you have been the victim. You've experienced abuse, oppression, manipulation. Know that there's someone who hears, who cares. And regardless of if if justice has occurred yet or not, God is on the move and he's concerned about what's going on in your life. He is a righteous and just God and he is going to do something. How would you feel if he didn't? I don't know if you remember back earlier this year um, in... the the case of uh, Brock Turner, a Stanford swimmer, former Stanford swimmer. Um, he uh, sexually assaulted a woman who was unconscious at the time. Was stopped in the the midst of the act by two other guys, um, arrested, convicted. Everyone was calling for six years at least of prison time, what they considered a just sentence at least the minimum of just but the judge's response was this Brock Turner was sentenced to only six months um, because the judge said this uh, any more than that would be would have such a severe impact on him I don't know if I should give him more than six months there's great outrage the, the victim, in fact, wrote 12 pages of how what a severe impact his sin had had on her. She was calling out for justice, and this judge didn't listen. The father, in fact, uh, of Brock Turner, wrote a counter-response and letter saying, oh, it was only 20 minutes of indiscretion. Let's be lenient on him. There was severe outrage. 191,000 people signed petitions to try to get this conviction, this sentence overturned and to get this judge deposed from his position. Because the understanding was, is when you do not act and punish injustice and wrong like that, it doesn't reflect upon you as being a good judge. In fact, you're a horrible judge. To not 
act with justice and punish wrongdoing is a sign of unfairness and wickedness. Maybe we need to reframe the question. Sometimes we struggle and say, how can a good and loving God punish people? Or to use Christian lingo, how can a good and gracious loving God send people to hell? Same, same concept we're trying to communicate. Maybe if this God is good and just, the question we should in fact ask is, how could a good and just God forgive sinners? Not how could he send sinners to hell? How could he punish sinners? Because if he is in fact a righteous and just God, if he doesn't punish wickedness, injustice, then it reflects very poorly on him. We should be outraged. It reflects the fact that our culture responds this way, that there's something deep inside us that recognizes injustice and sin must be punished. If it's not, then we have a problem. Well, then do we have a problem? In this passage? In this book? Don't you remember what we we saw earlier? Uh, remember a couple chapters before, we've seen Abram, Abraham and Sarah. They've acted very poorly. They've committed a lot of sins and wrongs. And a few chapters before, God says... Because Abram believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. Alright, here's this sinner, this manipulator, this man who does a lot of injustice, he and his wife. And because he believes and trusts in God, now all of a sudden you're declaring him as being right and just and in the clear We should actually be more upset as a culture about that statement in the Bible than the understanding that there's a hell. Hell makes sense. Forgiveness doesn't. So how can a good God forgive sinners? Let's look back... Remember what, what's going on in, the, in the, the context here. God, these visitors have appeared to Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, and what, have they, what are they promising? What are they telling is going to happen? A son is going to come. This son that was promised beforehand that, uh, of, of, from his line would come one who would deliver from the effects of sin and uh, its consequences in the world. Um, uh, Notice here in verse uh, 14 and uh, 18 and 19. um, uh, God says that this son will come. And then in 18 and 19, he says this. uh, Seeing that Abraham surely shall become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. 
For I have chosen him that he may do righteousness and command his children to do righteousness and justice, that he may bring, bring about to Abraham what is promised. Remember what God has promised, that through Abram, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. How are they going to be blessed? It's because this promised one from back in Genesis 3.15, who is going to be the one who takes care of sin and its consequences, is going to come into the world through Abram's line. And what did we see was promised back then? It, wasn't, it was going to come at, the, at, at great cost to this offspring that was coming. Remember, his, he was going to be injured in the process of defeating the serpent. But what did we see last week? Remember, this, this son has been promised to Abraham. But what also did God tell Abraham to apply to his children? This son. What was it about the son? It was a, it was a, a bloody son. A costly sign, a sign that reminded them that your sin and uncleanness needs to be removed from you. God is telling Abraham and all of the children that are born to him after that, and all of us who in line with Abraham look to God in, in faith, he's, he's telling us, look, you better never think that I'm just overlooking your sin or that you're better than anybody else. Or that they deserved wrath and judgment and you deserved mercy. Remember, blood needed to be shed. You deserved suffering and death and my wrath and my punishment. But I'm providing another way. I'm not just getting rid of the punishment but I'm applying it to someone else, to this offspring who's going to come and deliver, to the promised one. In fact, as Scripture unfolds, we've talked about this in weeks before, but this promised one was Jesus. And when He came, He experienced the full wrath of God on the cross. In fact, later on, another of God's we talked about this guy last week, Paul, one of God's authorized spokespeople. One thing that he said about the work of Jesus was so that God could be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What that means is when you look to faith in Jesus and God declares you righteous, he's not unjust in doing that. Why? Because the punishment you deserved and the punishment to satisfy God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. Punishment did occur. Wrath was satisfied. God did judge sin. But in His mercy and grace, instead of it being poured out on you, if you have looked to Christ in faith and called out on Him for mercy, the one who isn't stingy with the cheese, He promises to give you grace and give you mercy. And to forgive you and cleanse you. How can God, a good and gracious God, forgive sinners? By dying himself in their place. Remember what God said when he made this covenant with Abram. The animals were split. And he said, at the cost of my life, I will fulfill this covenant. And God has done that very thing for you and for me as we look to Jesus in faith. A good and gracious God can, in fact, save and deliver and forgive sinners 
when He is the one who suffers to deliver them from their sin. Do you know that deliverance? Have you looked and called out to mercy to this God to save you? Because we all must agree, we deserve that wrath and punishment. But know this, if you would just call out to Him, God is not stingy with mercy. And He will respond by giving you forgiveness and deliverance and His righteousness. That is the good news of the Gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the forgiveness that You have extended to us. We thank You that in in response to our rebellion, You would come to us like this in mercy.